I am Wendell B. Harris Jr., and you are listening to The World is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about cosmic slop. Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists that the world is wrong about. I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Brian Connolly. And we are here to discuss a... Uh, how many, a what is this? An, anth- an, an anthology that you selected I had never heard of before. My life is much better now for knowing about it, and <laughs> we are now going to uh, perform that service for our audience. What are we, what are we checking out here? So we are uh, going through uh, talking about Cosmic Slop from 1994, a short-lived HBO television show, which uh, only three episodes ever aired. And those three episodes were then put on a VHS just titled Cosmic Slop, which you were able to find in some video stores, oftentimes in the cult section. So I guess let's just play a clip from the first segment of these three segments, a segment called Space Traders, and then we'll come back and talk about it. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. As you can hear, Bernie, there's definitely something going on now. We can't see anything yet, but this humming is definitely growing louder. You know, ever since the alien signal was first received some three months ago, speculation has run rampant as to their appearance, the size and shape of their craft. Oh my God! Literally. I see Vice President D'Amato and Secretary of State Buchanan approaching the microphone. For those of you who are concerned, President Taylor, of course, is safe and secure in an undisclosed bunker until it's determined whether or not the aliens pose any threat. Hello. Hello. Is this on? Can you understand me? I'm the Vice President. We are space traders bearing exquisite gifts that will restore your nation to its former glory. Nearly limitless quantities of gold and precious metals that will instantly erase your deficit. Machines that will renew your rivers and your air. Cold fusion technology for a safe, cheap, and inexhaustible source of energy. All we ask in return is the delivery to our vessels. Five days from now, every child, woman, and man in your nation with at least 2,500 milligrams of melanin in their skin per square centimeter. What the hell is melanin? Put more simply, in trade for solving all your most pressing domestic catastrophes, we are asking for every person in your country that you would classify as black. Are you kidding? No, we are not. (laughs) 
What are you going to do with them? Well, that does not concern you. We give you five days to decide, and the offer is non-negotiable. We will not try to coerce you in any way. Yet, I hope we can do some business together. We wait all this time for a fucking UFO and they come here with this? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll do the plot, uh, but we got three plots to go through here, so I'll try to keep it brief because it's three episodes of the show and then we'll just kind of work our way through these episodes. Uh, the first episode is called Space Traders, directed by Reginald Hudlin, uh, based on a short story by Derek Bell. And it stars Robert Guillaume, the great Robert Guillaume, as Gleason Golightly, uh, sort of an advisor for the current pre president at the time. And a giant a bunch of spaceships come down to Earth. And these aliens then broadcast a signal out disguised as a weird, like Ronald Reagan, but it's like, like a Max Hedrum version of Ronald Reagan almost. And they say, we are going to... Uh, enrich your earth we are gonna get we're gonna re like re bring back all the the uh things that you've spent and and used up like all the all the elements of earth that you like you've run out of and we're gonna just give you a world of pollution free and wealth and just like unlimited energy and we're gonna end poverty but the catch is you have to give us all of your black people what and for x yeah <laughs> And so, of course, you know, the president and many people are like, what? And this is just for America, mind you. This isn't for Earth. This is just for, this is what is promised to America. And so they have to figure out whether this is worth it or not. And they ask for proof. The president wants proof. So the aliens give uh, the Statue of Liberty a makeover and turn it into solid gold. And of course, they're like, well, this is something worth considering. So they put it to a vote to America to have them vote, is it is this what you want? And if the voting leans towards yes, then there it's going to happen. Stop and, it uh, there. We, don't, I'm going to stop don't it there. Know <laughs> no, what's going to happen? Because we're going to we're going to spoil it soon. Yep. But so, let that hang just a little and, bit. And it's worth mentioning the show is definitely in that kind of Twilight Zone vein. So of course, all three of these stories kind of have twists to them. So if you don't want a major spoil then please track this down. It's on YouTube. Watch it. We'll put because, the link to the YouTube. Yeah. Because uh, it's on YouTube a lot and yeah. lots of different places. But the yeah. full three episodes, the link will be in our show notes. But all three of them kind of have these weighty endings that kind of bring it all into perspective. So definitely, we're going to have to talk about it because we have to talk about it. But going forward, if you don't want that ruined, then stop, watch, come back. So then... Uh, Ask so, me the big question. Yeah. Uh, well, well, Brian, how you doing? <laughs> Good. <laughs> and how is the world wrong about this film? I mean, it's not the film. How is the world wrong about uh, Cosmic Slop? So it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of crazy that, like, you didn't even know about this. You know, like, nobody knows about this. And, you know, everyone made a big deal of Jordan Peele's doing – you know, doing the Twilight Zone, and that's cool. But there already was, and like, and no one has given credit or acknowledged that there was 
a show that was sort of the the African American voiced version of the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits already done in the early nineties. But because it was only three episodes and HBO didn't want to do any more than that and was just dumped on video and never put on DVD. Like we we both of us had to literally watch this on a poor quality YouTube video. Not poor quality, but low quality. Oh, actually there YouTube is a video. DVD and uh, I ordered it. But I have Oh, is there? It. Yeah. But is it like an official DVD? I don't know. I've never seen it. Uh I mean, this should be on DVD with special features. Like this should be part of the dialogue of great television. Whenever I see lists about the great shows on HBO, this is I'm I'm going to go on a limb and say this is on none of them. <laughs> I've never seen this on any like the internet is full of let's rank every great HBO show because it's known for the height of television. And this show maybe because it's of too many years before Sopranos, Sex and the City, The Wire, like Deadwood, like that kind of golden age of HBO. This is more the Arliss uh age, I guess. Or even before that. And uh this is like the dream on <laughs> era of hbo and so this show just kind of gets buried and forgotten about and no one really knows about it and they should know about it because it's very very smart television it's very good tell i want i remember seeing this when it was on and i just assumed that it was a, a whole show that was uh, that played for a season that i just kind of wasn't able to catch all of them and then lo and behold when we did this episode i did the research and it was like no just those three and that's it and the team behind it, who are this? Who's the team behind this? So, so Reginald Hudlin and uh, Warrington Hudlin, they, funny enough, they got their big, their big hit was the House Party, the first House Party movie. Uh, he was, uh, Reginald was the director of that. And then they made Boomerang, the Eddie Murphy movie. Um, yeah, huge And film. then, so, huge films, in which I'm sure is what got them to be able to do this show, which is definitely not a show that could have been easy for anyone to try to make because it definitely goes in. We'll go into it, but this movie definitely goes for it. It doesn't hold back on its uh, views, opinions, uh, themes. It is definitely, it, it, it goes, goes for it, <laughs> which a lot of people don't like because it feels unsafe to them. Uh, but this is some truly biting satire. Um, one would say not even funny. It's just, it's just, goes into subject matters that are not often talked about in anything. Uh, and so they, yeah, they, there are these two guys who've come from comedy to make this show that ha is so deep and, and fantastic. Um, yeah. It's just really exciting. And like, if this show had gotten picked up and was a hit, who knows what they could have accomplished. Like since then, they've all still directed and worked on stuff, mostly television but nothing, I feel like, on the level of where where this show went or where the show could have been gone. Yeah, this is almost like a Heat Vision and Jack, except that it did get on the air. But you're watching yeah. it, and you're like, if I was watching, if you were telling me that this was an unaired pilot, I would believe you. Not yeah. because it's not good enough, because it's too good to be on TV. It's too <laughs> hard hitting, and it is. Well, let me tell you. Can I tell you my experience with this? Because I, yeah. I uh, so you turned me on to it. I was very excited to watch it. I watched the first one, Space Traders, and I thought it was. I, I was laughing because I thought, it, like, and I. This is where we're all we're going to start spoiling it. I was laughing, and then I got to the end, and I was just 
sort of rocked back. It reminded me, it hit me just as hard, maybe a harder. I mean, it's hard to say because I'm older now and more cynical. But I remember when I first saw The Twilight Zone where it's a cookbook to serve humanity. Yeah. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert on a decades old <laughs> Twilight Zone. Uh, but that moment jarred me so much. And there's yeah. a moment like that at the end of this, although it's not. The surprise is that there is no surprise. The surprise yeah, is you that keep... <laughs> you just keep thinking that they're going to pull out of this because this is a TV show. But no, it just leans into its dark ending. It's yeah. sad, tragic, horrific, oh, yeah. and embarrassing ending. And I went back and watched it again. And I couldn't like I could didn't laugh once watching it the second time. The first time I remember and I remember thinking there's some really clever like asides. There's some very funny things if you think that this is a comedy. But then when you know that it's just a horrific like one of the bleakest tragedies I've ever seen. It's uh, yeah, the laughs completely dissipate. And for comedy guys like this to do that trick is pretty awesome yeah. yeah uh we'll get into the other ones but let's talk about space traders a little bit because i do feel like that's the one if you if you look up cosmic slop online the first thing you're going to find uh is the funkadelic song oh and it's and it's worth mentioning george clinton is sort of this show's rod serling so you get between yeah all these stories his floating head doing different characters kind of in front of some weird green screen background. It kind of looks like a mid '90s like toaster effect, green, you know, like screensaver, and that's maybe the most dated part of the whole show. But it's great because I love George Clinton. Yeah, uh, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so yeah, so the space traders. So as I was saying, so if you're looking for it online, you'll find uh, the Funkadelic song, and then if you dig a little deeper. You might find Space Traders, this uh, just on its own. This is the one that seems like it's out there the most. And it stars Robert Guillaume, uh, who we know from Soap and then Benson. That's, yep. how, that's how I knew him as a kid. I was a kid who grew up on the TV show Soap. And then I didn't really, like, I watched Benson. This was back in the day when there were just, there were only so many TV channels on. And if you were watching during prime time, you watched one of them. And I never, I never related to Robert Guillaume. And I knew he was supposed to be, like, I was a young actor, and I knew that he was supposed to be this great stage actor. There were a lot of people like that on TV, it feels like, in the 70s and early 80s. People who were on sort of dumb TV shows, but they had reputations as great theater actors. And, mm. and it never really, it never really, I never really got it. Uh, my girlfriend currently is obsessed with Benson. She'll watch. She just watches the show over and over and over again. She loves it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but this show, I got it. And he is so good in this. Oh yeah. There's this scene yeah. after the aliens have come. So he plays a black Republican who has worked within the Republican administration, been vocal in opposition to affirmative action and 
he has a reputation in the black community as being a sellout. Yeah. And he's but he's he sees himself as the the black guy in the room, the one who's going to be there to try and mitigate, I guess, uh, yeah. the ravages of their political agenda. And so we get a scene. This is one of the scenes that I thought was hilariously funny the first time I watched it. It felt like uh, like Dr. Strangelove level funny. They're, they have the meeting around the big table with all of the people there. And the president's like, oh, well, We've been waiting for these aliens to come forever, and this is what they send us? Everyone laughs, and, and then someone's like, but you know, I mean, I guess we got to just consider it. And then you can see how fast everyone comes on, and Robert Guillaume, sort of the one black guy in the room, as they're debating whether or not to send all of their— and it's not all of the the uh, America's black people. It's just- the ones with 25 milligrams of melanin per centimeter of skin like it's some weird uh fucking equation like a monstrous equation and so anyway he's sitting here sitting listening to all of these people basically sell out the black population and even when they're defending them do it in like the worst the worst way the, the 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 satire is is cutting and then at the end he's the one who's like well he can't advocate for black people in this room but he can say well they might be bluffing so you better make sure that they really have their their stuff and you i don't think you said this in your synopsis the the plan is to open up a a couple of eight like 900 numbers that yeah. they're going to do a poll of the whole of all of America and you can call in privately privately yeah. and vote for accepting the space traders offer or uh, or not and so we just see how he navigates how he tries to navigate politically against this and yeah. his character is so uh, so tragic to me. I, I think it's. You could have told this from a lot of different points of view, but I thought his point of view was really maybe the most painful way to do it. Did yeah. You, did you get that? Did you get that? Well, yeah, because he's, he's, he's trying to go along with it in the way that like, it feels like at first. Like he's like he's trying like he's going along with it like assuming that someone else will go along with it with him like like how to avoid this from happening yeah and then when he realizes that that's not going to be the case then he really does like kind of go all in on trying to stop it from happening but by then it's kind of like you know that that kind of ho- the horror movie trope in a way of like that but at that point no one believes you and you're just driven mad by the fact that you're you know the way out maybe but everyone. Nobody trusts you because of your past and because of what you've said and done with your politics for like, you know, 20 plus years or whatever. And there's that other tragic scene where he's in the church and he's trying to get, he has this plan and he's trying to get everyone to listen, but they don't want to because they just look at him as like a total sellout of his own race, you know, and it's too, it's too little too late. And that's sad. It's just like, it's a really, and like he's, and he's very, and you can tell that he's wealthy and that his way of doing politics has really worked for him up until this point, you know, and and then just like the way that not only do the people of his community 
<clears throat> don't trust him and don't want anything to do with him, then spoiler alert, the people that he's been defending for 20 years also turn on him. And he's truly a man alone at the end of this. And it's so tragic. I find it more tragic than 99% of even like Twilight Zone episodes. Like this is a true tragic 30 minute show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I, you know, I have to, I don't want to ask this question, but I have, but the, this show demands that you ask this question. If aliens did come and offer to save the planet in exchange for some race of people other than your own. Yeah. And like, how would, and how would you vote in the privacy of your own home? Yeah. How would you make that calculation? I feel like most people, I think that's what the show does really well is it demands that you confront that. And I'll just say, I've been thinking about it since I saw the show. Yeah. It's haunting. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to let myself off the hook by not thinking about it because yeah, that film, this, this show sets that hook up there and says, Hey, hang yourself on this for a while and really think about it because I it's a, it's a, it's more like a mind game. Like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. But if you're considering it, think about that. Think about the other trade-offs you make. Yeah, go on. And the show goes in, like, this show, this episode talks about, like, there's this realization that Robert Guillaume has of, like, oh, shit, wait a minute. These people are voting in the privacy of their own home. That means we're totally going to lose. Just, like, totally, like, and that, and that, you know, is totally commenting on, just like even the people that aren't really racist in the privacy of their own home, there's going to be something, you know, like you, like they're going to make a decision because nobody's looking, you know, like this, that kind of like behind, like behind closed doors and the privacy of your home racism that people have, you know, or, or just like hate, hated ideas or, you know, that's like, that's dark and kind of sad and true. Well, it's, and it, well, it's, that's the, yeah. have you seen the film, the century of the self, the documentary by Adam Curtis? No, I have not. Oh, he just talks about that's one of the things. It's it's all exploring. It's the the legacy of Edward Bernays, who was the the founder of modern PR and uh, like a grand nephew or a nephew of Sigmund Freud's, who before Freud's works was really well known, he implemented Freud's work in advertising and then the film explores the development of modern psychology side by side with the development of modern PR and one of the things they talk about is the election of Ronald Reagan that nobody believed he would get elected because nobody was out there publicly saying in general people weren't the people who voted for him the Democrats who like the people who usually voted Democratic who voted for Reagan weren't broadcasting it publicly. It's like it's yeah. like what happened with Donald Trump. Is like all all of these sources are said that are supposed to be the same sources are saying, well, that can never happen. That can never happen. But if you make if you make the right offer to people to sell out the right people, you won't want to admit that you did that. 
But in the yeah. privacy of your home, <laughs> you're, we aren't our better. The, the argument of the film is that in the privacy of our own home, we aren't our better selves generally, yeah. you know, uh, which is a depressing thing to yeah. think about. Yeah. Because we live uh, there. And, yeah. <laughs> and and this this episode also goes into like, well, who's next? Like the Jews, are they going to be next? Like, oh, who, man, like where, where, so where, where does it sad. where does it end? You know, like where does it end? Well, the other uh, I thought it was that. But also as a Jewish person, I, this was when, again, the part of it that was so it was funny the first time because when it was great when the Jews stood up with the the black people who were going to be sent off and said, we're going to be standing. You can bet that there'll be 200,000 Jews all standing with you. We'll never let this happen. But at the end, there's no one there. No. You know, it's just a sad, sad place, that beach. Yeah. Um. And (laughs) and it's I think. I'd like I kept wanting this to be a much worse show all the way along. Like, come on, this is Robert Guillaume. This is going to be like Benson. It's not going to be great, <laughs> but it's going to be happy. Something's going to happen at the end. It's going to be a nice little bird. No. No. <laughs> Just and George that, Clinton rubbing it in from some weird <laughs> fifth dimension. And I think it's worth noting this is based on a short story by Derek Bell, who, of course, is one of the founders of critical race theory uh, and often talked about uh, more so now than ever before, even though he's passed away. And this, this, this definitely hits into some dark truth. This, this episode, and sadly, this show totally could play now without changing a fucking word. Like Absolute. you could show that, like oh. this is from 1994, and you know, go, go do some research and dig into other shows from '94. Even us doing the Ben Stiller show, which we did back in December, there's stuff that's gonna feel real dated and it doesn't quite hold up. Or just like the 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 the, the culture, it's, it's making, the cultural reference. The culture, you have to the, have watched the, it. Yeah. It's or, or the point it's making is quite not quite there. Like now, like now we know more about you know this or that, and like so this joke doesn't quite work, or this point doesn't quite work because it was thirty you know two years ago. But this plays a hundred percent. Like other than the special effects, which definitely look like special effects from nineteen ninety four television. Like the spaceships don't look. Like ILM level special effects, but on the but, other, but on the other side of the scale, uh, Casey Kasem looks so much better in this. <laughs> than he, he doesn't. Does. <laughs> but uh, but there's the show like the themes, like everything. It is so present. It could be so 2022. It's that is a sad state of the world. Yeah, you know that nothing has changed from '94 to now. Like this is as biting and deep and tragic and true as anything else. You know, it's just like, it really, and I did funny is like, I hadn't watched this in a while and I didn't really kind of consider that. I just remember thinking this was a good, I remember thinking the show was fun. Yeah. <laughs> when I, but I first watched it when I was 13. And now that I'm grown up and, you know, much more aware of the world, like this is like, I don't even know if I could consider this satire because it's just like you, like you said, it's like it's just so dark. Like if it, this is satire at its darkest, like this is darker than Doctor Strange Love. Like Doctor Strange Love can still play as a comedy. But I mean, this th- shit is spoiler super... alert. It do- the world does end. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's I mean that's and that's one of the things that uh, Guillaume's like. There's a point when. 
he has the opportunity to just go along, continue to go along, and he chooses not to. And he says to his wife, could we live with ourselves if we just didn't do anything and let them send all the black people into space? And she's like, no. And there's, there's something... I, what I kept thinking of, like, but that's a question. Like, we we live in a world where we let people be sent off into the space of prison or the space yeah. of, uh, you know, many, different, many different kinds of slavery that exist in this world, or just brutality. Like, the, there are ways our yeah. our bombs land. Like, we pay for bombs. We elect. We vote to elect people who kill people, in, innocent people in our name. And yeah. so the film, I mean, the show, on the one hand, it's absurd and it's making some really good points about racism. But I think that the larger point, like, I think, I, I hope, I don't know. I wonder if, like, if the same question is present if you're a black person and watching the film and you're like, well, would I vote to send, like, definitely I'd vote, there's a good reason for black people to want to send all the white people to space. Um, but would, <laughs> if, if they were, if they were, had the option to send maybe a less, a different group that was less of a hostile uh, entity to them. I, th- I think anyone, I, there's a way that I think it invites us to think about our complicity when it doesn't affect us, whoever we are. Yeah. Yeah, or it reminds me a lot of just the way people are okay with the way immigrants are cheated when they're shipped away or turned yep. away at like the border yeah. or detained. Yeah, like just or the way we treat the children there, you know. Mm-hmm. And just I think when people get worked up about protecting their own ass or their family's asses, they will turn real ugly. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and th- there's just so many, like. Again, just like things in this that are so smart. Like, and this is only like this is not even a full thirty minutes. I want to th- I want to say it's like twenty five minutes. But they just pack so much stuff in there. Like, not just the solid gold Statue of Liberty or them showing up as Ronald Reagan, but you also have the aliens showing up on Plymouth Rock. Yeah, which is not an accident. Yeah, <laughs> that's where they show up. Uh, the one that really got me was the line in the in the kind of war room where the lady says. Well, do you think the aliens would treat them any worse than we have? And that is so dark (laughs) because it's like, it's like, no, maybe they won't (laughs) because we treated them pretty fucking bad. I don't know. I, Uh, the impression I get is that they want the melanin. They just want the melanin. They don't want, it's not like we want black people. They're looking for who who knows, but they never say that's the great thing. That's why they're they're looking for the melanin in the skin. They're looking for. Yeah, there's something yeah. that they need, and they're called space traders. They're not the emissaries of the Fed, you know, the Space Federation. Yeah. They're yeah. people coming on slave ships. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, brutal. it's and and to me, my favorite actor in this whole thing actually is a guy who plays the newscaster, Jason Bernard. He is so harp. He's he, so good. He. He is so good. And like at first, again, it seems funny where he's kind of given these sort of comical versions of the news. But then in that part, when he re- when he realizes what the vote is in America and just sort of like the look on his face and the way he just kind of stammers 
and the way that he is like truly cannot believe like what has happened. I've never seen an actor act so disappointed and sad in anything. It's such a good performance. Voting will begin in just a few seconds from now. As you know, two telephone numbers will appear on your screen, one in favor and one against the space traders offer. After dialing the number of your choice, simply key in your personal security code. Here, ladies and gentlemen, are the two numbers. Polls will remain open for the next three hours, but we should be able to project a decision very shortly. Ladies and gentlemen, with just 6% of the vote tallied, we project... ...that the referendum will pass by a comfortable margin. Collection centers will be set up tomorrow morning by the National Guard. The aliens say that the aliens say they will allow only one piece of carry-on luggage per person. This is Bernard Shields. Goodbye. That part is so, so just like tragic. Gosh, like he's amazing. And you'll recognize him. He's a character actor that you've seen in many things. But I think this maybe is his best, finest role. Like it's incredible. Um, yeah. 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 Sort of a Walter Cronkite type character that gravitas, that sense he has at the end that like you see him, like his heart falls and there's the, you just see him be like, but I'm on TV and I'm speaking to everyone. And so I yeah. have to hold it together. It's yeah. so, but if you can barely hold it, together, oh, like, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, again, it's crazy. Like did this win any Emmys? No, no one gave a shit about this show. Oh, and, did and, you, did you notice that it ends on a joke? that references back to this because at the very, the very last thing is the guy striker who he kept, kept cutting to who was the field reporter. And now striker yeah. is the, <coughs> the new guy. He's, he's the replacement. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but striker now is the, Anch- you're the anchor man. Yeah. He's the new anchor man. Yeah. So striker gets to be, and it's sort of like that. Like all, once, once the once you clear out a certain population, oh, there's all these new opportunities, and people are like, "I was, I'm sad about it, but I'm glad I got his job. I'm sad about it, but I'm glad I got their house." You know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. And, genocide and it, is like 
genocide comedy there's there's not a lot it's, it's <laughs> hard a lot. it's hard to uh, stick the but, landing on that one and uh, I but, think they did it but just the fact that these guys went for this like this is the first episode and they just went for it man like yeah. having this be your pilot holy shit <laughs> like this is tough like I can't think of anything like this, you know, like even now that people are making like this really what man, like, yeah, it's, uh, it really gets into some stuff. Um, and I think this is also a great lesson in kind of what you can get with a low budget, but with big ideas and just good actors. Like it doesn't look expensive. Not and at all. Like the way, the way they kind of cover it. It's, it's like, there's a bigger version of this that could have existed. But I think that this, like, they did a good job of sort of the limitations that they probably had in terms of the budget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's let's move on to the next installment of Cosmic Slop. I'll play you. Uh, what is the what is the 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 next episode? Called called? First Commandment. First Commandment. Let's hear a clip from First Commandment. <laughs> The point I'm trying to make, Your Eminence, is that this statue is a great work of art. It should be on display in our museum, along with other art treasures. Blessed Virgin of Charity represents compassion and belongs in a church. If the people want to see it, they're welcome to our church. Well, if your church were a little more accessible, I could see your point, Father Carlos, but I mean... Who's going to travel all the way to the South Bronx just to see this statue? People who live in the South Bronx. Oh, Father Carlos, be reasonable. I'm sure that Mr. Spivey is not insensitive to the needs of your parishioners. In fact, I'm sure that in exchange for the statue, the museum would be willing to make a donation to the capital fund of the Archdiocese. We maintain this fund to make repairs and improvements on churches with the greatest need. So the museum's donation will be earmarked for repairs in my church? As I said, the donation will be made to the Archdiocese Capital Fund. Then uh, we have a deal? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I'll have my office draw up the papers, and you can make the arrangements to pick up the statue. Very good, Your Eminence. Father Carlos? This is for the best. I mean, the, the interest of the larger community is, is better served. Why? Mr. Spivey put it best. For the good of the larger community. And I assume the community we were primarily concerned with was the Catholic community. In this case, the people who attend my church. Are you sure they are all Catholics? Oh, I see what this is about. It's because of some of my parishioners' involvement with Santeria, isn't it? Now, I have spoken to you about this before. The church will not tolerate pagan traditions and practices, yet you refuse to speak out against it in your sermons. Santeria is the religion of their ancestors. It can be traced back through Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Yoruba people of ancient Africa before even the time of Christ. Yes, and that is why our Lord sent down his only son to save their heathen souls. And they have accepted him. They keep their ancestors alive by combining their identities with our saints. 
This is not acceptable. This is God's first commandment. Now they must choose whether they are pagans or Catholics. Okay, Brian, tell us a story. <laughs> All right, so first commandment um, is a weird one. Uh, Nicholas Turturro plays a priest in New York City or L.A. I can't tell what city it's in. Maybe L.A. Uh, he is no, no, it's uh, South Bronx. From, South Bronx. It's is New it South Bronx? Okay, New York. So he's uh, from Puerto Rico. The character, not Nicholas Turturro, who's very much Italian American, but. Uh, He's running this Catholic church in this little uh, kind of area of town. And he gets called in by a higher up in the Catholic church who says he does not like that certain members of his of his church are breaking the first commandment. The first commandment, of course, being you cannot have any other gods, you know, before or other than the one true God. Because he has uh, members of his church that are immigrants from Puerto Rico that practice more of what they refer to this as like a pagan ritual. And they're using a certain statue of a saint. Uh, and they, the Catholic Church doesn't like that they're using this in their rituals. And they, they're just going to take the statue away. And they want to end this sort of non-traditional way of worship. Um, they take the statue away. Uh, but then the statue comes back as the living saint. And it goes into this bad part of town where this church exists. And it starts healing people and it starts bringing people together and more people are going to this and being more excited about it than going to actual Catholic church, which really doesn't make the higher ups in the Catholic church happy. Uh, it's a more straightforward story than space traders, probably my least favorite of the three in this one. Um, but the, again, the performances are very good. I really like Nicholas Turturro a lot. I think he's great. Uh, and it does, yeah, again, not quite as biting as Space Traders, but there's something, there's something there. And this is, this one, the first one was directed by Reginald Hudlin. This is now directed by Warrington Hudlin, who, again, uh, wasn't a, really a director before this. He did most, only music videos. He did, like, he did a George Clinton video a year before this. He did a video for Heavy D and the Boys. And this is sort of his first non-music video thing. And, um, uh, and by the way, his last yeah, this was his it, last directing was, he credit. Did it. He, He's this, more a producer, I think, than a director, really. Uh, um, yeah. Well, uh, but you, so you, I didn't. Let me see. Did I think it was the weakest of them all? I don't. I don't know about that. I. I. I think that there are. It shares themes with the other one. Like they're both about these guys who are stuck in the middle between their community. Yeah. And these and authority, which maybe yeah. seems like something that these brothers were working out as they were like, OK, well, now we're accepted <laughs> in Hollywood. Right. And yeah. we want to yeah. be responsive to the community we came from, but we don't want to lose our jobs, which they did. They chose to like both of these first episodes are saying the right thing to do is the thing that's going to get you in trouble with your bosses. That's <laughs> very true. Yeah. And, uh, and it, <laughs> HBO proved them right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this one of the three has some of the more striking imagery, maybe. Like, there's some, there's some, like, stuff that really stuck with me cinematically. Like, this one feel, feels the most cinematic in a weird way. 
Oh, well, this I, is a I, conversation I, I, we've had in the past. Could you explain <laughs> why this is more cinematic than the other ones? There's just images. I want to get you on record about this, just, Brian. <laughs> there's just visual images that like have really stuck. Like not like not necessarily the themes or the acting, but just more just like the way that what the camera's doing, or just sort of what's in front of the like the way what's presented, the imagery of it. There's there's something about like when the saint is walking through the crack house and there's this music playing. Mm-hmm. Like there's something really haunting about that, even though it's a good thing that's happening. There's something really eerie and just sort of like all the, all these kind of drug addicts and homeless people coming out of the woodwork to kind of greet this, this, uh, this saint. Uh, there's something really striking about that. Um, and I, I don't know. I just feel like that there's a lot like Maybe they're they're making up for it's a smaller story than the other one, and so they're kind of putting a little more flair <laughs> in the cinematography <laughs> or the imagery, like because it's it's definitely less talky than Space Trader. Space Traders is a lot of plot to go through, whereas this one I feel is a little more quieter and a lot more just kind of letting these moments play out without talking. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find who played. Is it Anna Mercedes who played the the Santa Teresa or whoever? I'm sorry, my my knowledge of of uh, Catholic saints who are also part of uh, of an earlier religious ceremony is is pretty pretty weak. Uh, one thing we there's a, a Nightmare on Elm Street crossover. Oh, really? Kelly Joe Minter from Nightmare on Elm Street Five is in uh, is in this. I didn't recognize her during the in the show, but I did notice uh, in the credits that there she is and I see her occasionally at at um, cons, so the name jumped out at me. Uh, we'll we'll actually be doing an episode about the dream child coming up in in yes. the in the later in the year. Uh, so stay tuned for that, but yeah, um I don't know. I don't. That's probably totally uninteresting, but it just jumped out at me. <laughs> uh, so okay. Uh, as a as someone who spent some time in the Catholic Church, uh, did this speak to you? Did you feel offended, inspired, <laughs> indicted, uh, filled with the well, Holy I, Spirit? I, I find Catholic churches to be so scary to me. <laughs> so out of the three, this was the scariest one to me. Just like when the two, when the two guy, like when they're going into the church and they see just the statue, just ha- kind of hovering over the, just kind of up there looking out over the, 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 the church. That's scary. Like just the idea of being in a church alone and this whole idea of like, you know, our religion is right and the other religion's wrong, even though they're totally believing it's sort of in basically the same thing. But that stupid argument, you know, that people have oftentimes about it when it's like, and it goes against like the whole point of being religious in the first place is like, you should just all love each other and be cool. But instead you're like, well, your version of it is slightly different than mine. So I don't like you. So this needs to stop. (laughs) And frankly, the other one looks more fun. They're dancing. (laughs) It's, it's just much more exciting than just sitting in three hours of a Catholic, you know, ceremony. <laughs> and not, I, I don't, I don't know if we can spoil this. Could you explain the ending to me? I went back and watched it. <laughs> How I read it 
is that it's like the it's sort of like they so they've kind of banished this poor priest is they kind of told like you need to basically banish this part of your church like you, they they're not going to stop we're going to take this this statue away the statue goes missing so they think they seem to think it's these people that have been kind of worshiping in a way that they are not happy with. And there's this, this sad scene where Nicholas Turturro uh, confronts one of these people in his shop. And the guy's really offended that the priest would come in and be like saying that they stole the statue. They're like, why would we ever do that? Like, like why would you think that of us father? And he has a great and, speech there too. And, and my, and my idea of the ending is it's sort of like, they're all like, these are people like, these are not the people that were normally worshiping in that way, <clears throat> in that more older way. And they, but instead they're all kind of getting in their way, their version of the Holy spirit, but through this sort of like, the, like pagan, <laughs> they're all getting possessed in a way by this sort of way of being religious as opposed to sitting still in the church. Cause like the scene is like, everybody's going up for communion. Um, which is a very quiet, weird ceremony. You know, it's you you walk up, the father whispers. He to could you, say that you. because he did it. I I wouldn't say weird. Yeah, no, I, I've done it. <laughs> it's very quiet. You stand in line. You're supposed to be like very, you know, feeling very holy in that moment, and very, you know, like you're you're accepting the blood and body of Christ. Um, and then you sit back down and you think about it. Uh, but here, everyone starts flailing and kind of dancing and shaking around and everybody's starting to turn like the church against their will the these people are starting to turn into the way the people the the more pagan older religious uh people are, are, are celebrating it so just sort of like a weird like i don't know if it's possession like they're definitely getting possessed but i think it's sort of like the sim- symbolic that the old church or the the way the catholic want to run the church isn't going to happen it's being taken over by the older way does that make sense <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the writ the writ it's more of this this yeah this kind of like it's not voodoo but it's it's just sort of like it feels very tribal and it feels very yeah like pre-christian not the way pre-christian yeah as opposed to you who's i guess post-christian <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh the 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 pre, the post and the holy ghost. Yeah. But I but I found I found this segment to be the least effective of the three. I feel the other two are very sharp satire. Whereas this one it it's kind of lost on me exactly what you know, what it's all for. I don't know. Like I I get it, but like it doesn't quite have the same zing. Okay. Or, or well, maybe it's just maybe it's just placed in a bad place. It's placed between what I think are two very good, uh, smart short uh, episodes, and this is like this one's fine. Well, I guess uh, it's people like you who convinced Warrington Hudlin to <laughs> stop directing. <laughs> if he listens to this, he'll be like, "Ah, yeah, that's that's why." No, I like it. It's good. No. It's just the one before it is so one of the best television Your brother is just ever. so much better than you. <laughs> he worked on that too. He's a producer of this whole thing. You know, like, it's not like he can be thanked for all of it. <laughs> I, I, it's so funny. You're, I can't believe you're turning yourself yourself in knots not to offend this person who's never going to listen to this episode and has made that choice. It's not like there's something afterwards. He was just like, that. I don't like doing that anymore. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
He did other things. He's fine. Uh, okay. Well, then yeah. let's, uh, let's move on to the next and final segment from yep. Cosmic Slop. Yes. Hey, hey, move. Flowers for you, sir. Who's that? What's that? Wait a minute. Who's he? What's that? What is that? That's flowers? Who the fuck is sending you flowers? I don't know what the fuck this is. Why you tripping shit? From who? I don't act like you don't know how popular a nigga is now. Shit. Let that be a lesson to your ass, because you've been fucking up lately and you about to miss the love boat. Shit, many fans as I got. Could be anybody. Could be Bambi or Conchita, Monique, Jaja, Shaniqua. Well, what up? There's a note. When a man's wife gotta read him his little love notes. Look, just remember now, Jaja, that begins with a Z. Now, if that is from a woman, I suggest you put it in the sink before opening it. You move. You know, woman, and you know it. Too many words on the card for one thing. So what is it? I don't say. Well? What the note say? You first. Tang, read me that goddamn note. Ask nicely. Whoa! Y'all can touch shit! Jesus Christ. What, 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 what? Another Read the note, not read it. Warning. Do not inform police. Learn your weapon and wait for instructions. Learn your weapon and wait for instructions. Warning. Do not inform police. Freedom is near. Tell us about it, Brian. All right. And so then the final story is called Tang, directed by Kevin Rodney Sullivan, who did a lot of TV before this. Since then, has done he did the movie version of How Stella Got Her Groove Back, which was pretty big. The movie uh, version? And, that was, I mean, was there another version? Well, the, well, the book, based on a book. Okay. Th- right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe there was a meal based on that. Like, but it's like... <laughs> Okay. The movie adaptation of how Stella got her groove back, uh, and this is this one is a very it's the smallest one. It kind of feels like a play, 
very much feels like a play. It's only two people really that talk. Uh, who, uh, Paula Jai or Jay Parker plays Tang. You might see her, might remember from Friday. She was in Hustle and Flow. And then uh, Shy McBride plays uh, T-Bone, the boyfriend or husband, or they're, they're married, husband. And uh, and you've know, seen him before most recently in our episode about the terminal. He's in that movie, but that, he's a, he's an actor who's in a lot of things constantly all the time. He's great. And this is just two actors really chewing up the scenery in a very just tightly made kind of what feels like, yeah, a good one act will play. The plot of this pretty simple. Uh, this couple is in this crappy apartment. The guy sitting on an easy chair, just watching TV and his uh, wife, uh, he wants her to go get him some Burger King and he wants her to go out and get some work and he doesn't want to work. Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't just want her to work. He wants her to go and give blood or yeah. volunteer for medical experiments on her. Yeah. Like get into some like hard, not great work. <laughs> like Yeah. Stuff that he could easily do too. But he's just like, I don't want to do it. I've played that game. I failed. It's too hard out there. I don't want to do it. And so the first half of this is sort of them just sort of arguing and it's a very abusive relationship. And you can tell she's very scared of this guy and has probably had this conversation with him many times before of, uh, you know, like she's the one who has to go out and kind of serve him and she has to kind of do what he wants her to do. And clearly there's some physical abuse in this relationship. Like she's constantly afraid that he is going to hit her. Uh, you kind of hear other people in this apartment building fighting very faintly. You hear voices of other, what sounds like the same sort of mix of gender, like a man and a woman, and they're, they're fighting. In the middle of this fight, there is a package that is delivered by this mysterious looking kind of like fancy bellhop guy who brings in what looks like one of those big flower boxes. Delivered from the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. <laughs> and they they bring it inside. He's instantly vanishes, which is strange. They turn around, he's gone. They open it up, and inside is a shotgun with a note saying, the uprising's happening. Don't, don't call the cops. Don't tell anyone. Just, like, hold on to this and just, like, wait for our signal. Wait for further instructions. And wait for further instructions. And they're like, oh, shit. And she's kind of excited in a way she's like oh this is happening and he's just like no 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 this is like this is ridiculous like there's no way this is they're trying to frame us this is just somebody like i can't do this like with my parole or whatever or my past i can't be caught with a loaded gun like this like we need to just get rid of this and she's like no no i think maybe some shit's happening like we really need to hold on to this and then of course it turns into sort of like their different opinions of what they're going to do Tables definitely get turned on each other. It gets really tense. And then the ending is ultimately very sad. <laughs> and <clears throat> it's great. It kind of plays in a way it reminded me of a little bit of like a David Mamet thing. It just has this great theatrical sort of like two actors playing against each other. Very, very smart writing. Um, I really like this segment a lot. Uh, it's worth noting that this uh, this segment was written by uh, Chester Himes. It's based on a book, uh, a short story based, by Chester Himes. Based on a, yeah, it's written by somebody, Kel Baker, but based on a short story by Chester Himes. 
who we discussed uh, in the oh well you'll hear it next week we discuss he, he ends up coming up in my interview with Wendell B Harris Jr. Wonderful. So, yeah. Uh yeah, it's it feels like a short story. Yeah. Too. Very intense. Again, not fun. This one I think the first one is the only one that even tries comedy. <laughs> tries to be funny about some of it. Like I don't yeah. think I'm curious. I wonder if it's sort of like a, a the believer thing. Like if we sat down with Reginald Hudland and uh, and his brother and <laughs> talked talk about, about this, they'd funny. be like, "God, that that last one is so hilarious." <laughs> the way he shows up and hands him the gun, like I don't know where the comedy yeah. is here, but they're they're <laughs> yeah they're comedy guys, so they must. You know how it is. If, like you're on the set. If you're a funny person, even if you're making a serious movie, you're laughing. When like when it's not cut, especially if it's dark, especially if it's intense, you're laughing even more when you're not rolling. There's definitely like I feel like First Commandment. I can tell you what the humor is <laughs> in that one. Uh, but this one, I, I kind of see it like definitely the way that she is obviously playing T-Bone, especially the part where she's trying to like, kind of fake seduce him, but then make him have to pee in sort of like this elaborate way that she's trying to figure out how to get to the gun and load it by tricking him. I think there's definitely some humor in there for sure. But um, by the time you get to it in this series of things, you are in this, in that twilight zone, outer limits space yes. where uh, yeah. you're not like after the, with the first one you think, okay, well this is going to pull out of it. And then when it doesn't, you're like, Oh, maybe none of these are. Yeah. That's just, that's not what, that's what this show is. This is not going to have, <laughs> This is not going to be have a happy ending. It's not even going to be like it's not even going to have the sad ending you were hoping for. It's going to turn the knife all the way, uh, which this one. I assume that's what happens in the story. I guess we can let's spoil this. Yeah. Uh, So the the kicker at the end of this is that they use that. She's about to shoot him. And then you hear all of the neighbors are shooting each other. And I think it's, is it mostly the women shooting the men? That's what it sounds like. It sounds like it's mostly the women shooting the men. And the men, and you get the impression that they're just like, it's a, it should be a, a show called cycles of abuse. Like that's yeah. like that. There's all of these different cycles of abuse going on. And, there, like it's really hard to find up, and when you don't know where up is or where down is, you just lash out at the person in front of you. Yeah, and uh, and so it ends up with a showdown with them pointing yeah. guns at each other, and then, uh, and then fade to black. And and the, and like I feel like I don't quite know. Like, is that the uprising? Is the hope that it was the women are going to shoot all the these men, these abusive men, or? Is that kind of the more sad thing of someone just being like, no, they're all just going to turn on each other and there is no uprising. It's just a way to have these people kind of get rid of one another well, so it, we don't have to deal with it. <laughs> you know, like, It made me think about the stories about L.A. in the 80s and 90s that it, you just had 
guns and money that were being poured into this these neighborhoods by our own government, by the CIA, using the money to fund illegal wars in South America. And it's like that, like someone delivers a gun to a situation that is already fraught because of these cycles of abuse. Like, isn't it uh, Shai McBride, he says, the line, like, something like, uh, black people can't do anything. Like, he says something like that. Like, this is this sign of this sigh of great desperation or not uh, resignation in realizing that someone just gave him a gun and they're going to kill each other. And there is no uprising. That This is just a way of getting a, a, a one-on-one dirtier, down and dirtier way of doing what space traders does. Yeah. Which is how do we get the, get rid of these people? Which is what the show... Like, thinks that white America wants. But that's sort of the theme of all three of these stories is sort of like, how do we get rid of these people? Let's get rid of these people. These people need to get rid of, <laughs> like, all three of them. That's sort of the main plot of all of them <laughs> when you look at it. Ugh. I don't, like, uh I don't like it. It feels, it makes me feel, the whole thing makes me feel bad. So I guess they did their job. Uh, what would this yeah. have been like if this had just been on once a week? One of these yeah. episodes, a half an hour episode. It, yeah. And, and like, if this had gone on for a whole season, would there have been more lighthearted episodes? That doesn't seem likely so far. <laughs> these would be the first three. Like, because when you watch something like The Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt or Tales from the Dark Side or even Black Mirror, which gets very dark, they'll have an episode that's funny or that's a little lighter or that's like a little, yeah, like, like the fact that all of these kind of really, like they're really going for it, <laughs> as I keep saying. Like well, I guess, is, I mean, the one, the middle one is actually the only one that kind of has a happy ending. The, the pagan yeah. religion wins out. Over yeah, the Catholic I guess that's Church. true. Yeah, that's true. That one does. That's the only one that does. But it's the one I like the least, I, you know? Do I'm, you think that's because it's a black show and that this, like, if this was a black story, it would have ended more tragically? There's something about, yeah. like, a little bit of, I don't know, something about the show that is leaning into the most nightmarish reality or worst case scenario reality for black people. And this middle one is sort of like, well, it's weird that this Italian Puerto Rican, this Italian actor playing this Puerto Rican priest is able to somehow beat the Catholic church. And the ending is kind of nebulous because I don't think that's the show they're making. Yeah. The show they're making is the real black mirror. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and so those episodes have more of just, you know, there's just more blood in the game, I guess. Skin in the game. Yeah. Uh, God almighty. I don't like I was really looking forward to this. But by the end, I'm re- like, I'm very sad. <laughs> and maybe that's why HBO was like, no, maybe like this is not fun. This is too dark because it's really dark. And I think it's all, it's talking about things that people don't want to acknowledge or talk about, like ever. 
you know, especially the majority of people watching HBO, which is white people. Like they don't want to talk about this stuff. They don't want to, they want to look in, they don't want to look in the mirror and see, you know, like things that they were capable of could be, or already have been. And just sort of like, yeah, it's just the truth that this movie, this show really just like sticks a knife in and twists it. It doesn't let go. It doesn't hold back. It's uh, it's not being subtle <laughs> about any of this stuff. Um, that yeah, maybe it just maybe if there was more like Casey Kasem, <laughs> something a little lighter sprinkled in, it could be more uh, you know, easily digestible. But I think I just like looking at what HBO had at the time. I think this is just too like maybe now they should really just bring this back, like bring all these people back, air these three episodes, and then make some new ones. Like yeah, this, I feel this. I feel people are ready now for this kind of darker satire or storytelling than they were back in the early '90s. I think 1994, they would rather like Tales from the Crypt was the anthology show at the time, and that's more. It's fun. It's funny, and even though it's more violent than this and gory, it's all kind of done. It's a very playful show. You know, if they had stuck with this, and, I think this would have been would have found its audience. You know, again, yeah. you look at who they were working with. Like they're about to work with Eddie Murphy, that was you know, and everyone who's in Boomerang. If all those actors who were in Boomerang started showing up in episodes of this, <laughs> that'd be a great show. Be a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, you're right, but like, and like they like they went on to like he like they've made more things. They're just not. Like they've had success. Oh like, yeah. Like like they were like Regin- Reginald Hudlin, uh, like he uh his, he, he was executive producer on the Boondocks. That's a pretty dark satire that show, but it's definitely more light at times. He did the Bernie Mac show, uh. So like they like they are doing fine. <laughs> did the, he did the first episode of Everybody Hates Chris? Uh, he produced Django Unchained. So like he's you know. He's not stopped being successful. In fact, it's gotten more successful. But it's just like this to me, this show is is maybe the best thing he's ever done. Like it or they've ever done. Like it's so good. And the fact that nobody cares and nobody talks about it. Like this should be shown in classes, at least the first episode. Like Space Traders, like that is a amazing. Yeah. I I really think it's one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. Like it's so well done. It's so smart. It's and it's like it's just a shame that it's just like barely even a whisper, even on the internet. If you Google it, like some people have written about it on like their own little websites, but this is not like this is the thing that the public, the people that like this kind of stuff or that have been looking for this kind of thing, and I think there's a lot of them. It's here, just waiting for them <laughs> to find. In some, you know, down some weird little alley on the internet. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh that's Cosmic Slop. Cosmic Slop. Uh f- check it out. It's on YouTube. You can watch it like anywhere that you want. Just just pull up your on your phone, stream it on your TV. And maybe uh just pass it to friends. It's it's yeah, it's great. I think just like when we talked about uh <clears throat> Residue. Or is this this is after Residue, right? Yeah. 
that's a movie that's on Netflix. So like these they, these are both things like one in a more official release way, not more in one in a bootleggy way that you can watch and yeah pass it along, email to people, you know, post about it. I think these things should be seen. They're really really good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian and I'm AJ and we have a podcast called The Director's Wall, examining a filmmaker's career film by film. First up was M Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. One dream, one wish, one piece of mind. A podcast hosted by Nico White about One Piece by Acherio Oda on Paperhouse Network. We'll see you every Monday. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. So I was thinking one thing we didn't mention, you were talking about how this was on HBO in 1994, and I was thinking how in 1993, HBO produced the trial of James Earl Ray in conjunction with the King family. Uh, They had been trying, they didn't believe that James Earl Ray acted alone in killing Martin Luther King, and as more evidence came out to suggest that that was, that James Earl Ray was likely to be innocent and be a patsy for a larger uh, operation, they made several attempts to get the case opened. It was rejected all the way up to the Supreme Court, and then they pitched the idea of doing a public trial on HBO and they had a retired judge and they had a prosecutor and they had a jury and they basically conducted a jury trial. James Earl Ray participated, the King family participated, and they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Oh, wow. And this Uh, was on TV? Yeah. How crazy. I've never heard of this. Yeah. And it was, it's the only time that a lot of the information about the Martin Luther King assassination has really gotten a public hearing and in the end the jury that was there found James Earl Ray innocent and so yeah I was thinking about that as being like okay well in 1993 1994 there was probably someone at HBO who was green lighting (laughs) interesting things although we just checked and neither this nor neither cosmic slop nor the trial of James Earl Ray is on HBO Max, which seems really troubling to me. Yeah. Maybe Cosmic Slop you could understand, (laughs) but not having this very important trial on your streaming service seems... Yeah. I don't know if they just... like. It seems like they don't have a lot of their old stuff. Like, I don't even know if... Is Dream On all on there? Like, Tales from the Crypt isn't on there, which is weird also. Like, that was a huge hit for them. So who knows like what they like I don't know if they changed hands and they don't have the rights or they're just like slowly 
putting it out or never have the intention to put everything on there. So who, we'll see. Maybe in time. It'd be great if they did put all the stuff on there. I think that trial sounds very interesting. I would like to watch that. Uh, Cosmic Slop, as we just told you for the last hour, is great. That should be on there. Uh, it should be like Disney Plus, where it's just like everything you've made, you have the rights to, just put it on there. Why not? You have enough money to fill up, you know, computer drives or whatever to store this information. Uh, yeah. So who know who knows what the reason is, or if there's just someone isn't you know old enough there anymore to remember all the cool stuff that they need to put on there, like pre Sopranos, you know. You know that every year there's this day where we celebrate Martin Luther King. It seems like there would be a yearly opportunity to celebrate and promote this production. Yeah. So it seems like it's a choice. Huh. Uh, anyway, well, <laughs> you know, I, I initially thought, OK, well, you know, last a couple of weeks ago, we dragged HBO pretty bad for uh, the Allen versus Pharaoh documentary. And I thought this might be an opportunity to correct that. But uh, in, I, it seems not so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that they made it is cool, though. The fact that at it one is. point that they thought to make something great like that. So. Who knows? Who knows what the actual reason as to why it's not on there? Maybe they're not putting anything on there that doesn't look good digitally. You know. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like... Well, uh, <laughs> maybe we should do like sometime we should do an episode on if I can get a hold of. Uh, yeah, where could you even a copy of this? Watch it. Like I don't even yeah. know if it's been released on home video. Like I couldn't find anything on it. Like so, I'm gonna dig around. I'm maybe I'll have to reach out to the to the King family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I've had my own little Twilight Zone experience today. Today. <laughs> so I moved into this apartment in L.A. in December, and I've not been getting my mail. And I've been going back and forth with the post office. Um, and it's been very difficult. It's been very frustrating. And then just today, I finally met my mail carrier, very nice guy named MD. I was like, how do you spell it? He's like, MD. I was like, okay, well, you can call me AJ. Uh, and, uh, and so my address of the, the building or the uh, complex I'm in is 1908 is the number. But my unit is 1912. Uh, and I was told when I moved in that I should list it as 1908, Unit 1912. I'm not giving you the street and the address, folks, because I know <laughs> you're just going to come and try and Doc. steal stuff out of my mailbox. Uh, so the problem was that he was putting all my mail in 1908. So I finally – I got all my mail. But when I go through it – and this is where – I mean, this is kind of spooky and scary and not – like, I'm not trying to play this for laughs because when I say what what – whose mail I'm getting, it's kind of scary and sad. And I'm going to be figuring out who I need to get this to. But I got all these tax forms for the Chadwick Bozeman estate. Oh, weird. I have a stack of huh. of tax forms for the Chadwick Bozeman estate, estate that came into my mailbox, or not my mailbox, the mailbox that... Uh, They've been erroneously putting my mail in, but it is addressed huh. to my address. So much like the story, my Hollywood story from, uh, I don't know, when, when, I, when I told you my Sherilyn Fenn story, where I yeah. was getting calls from 
the Twin Peaks office yeah. is looking for Cheryl and Fenn and saying, yeah. I wish you were calling me and I wish that Cheryl and Fenn was here. It's just a sadder version of that. That Yeah. I I guess, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I guess a relative of Chadwick Boseman's lived in my place before me. Um, wow. And now I'm going to go on a detective. I'm going to have to be a detective and try and track down these people who I'm sure have very high, uh, like, if I was a Bozeman, I wouldn't want anyone bugging me. Uh, most yeah. famous people generally don't, but particularly famous people who are in mourning, uh, I'm yeah. sure still. The last thing they want to do is hear from someone, except they do want to hear from me because I have their tax forms. <laughs> How odd. How weird. Uh, huh. And that happened right before, like right before we started recording, I'm there and I'm and you called, you called me right as I was going through it. And I was like, what? Okay, well, I guess I'll just talk about it on the on the show because that's really weird. But uh, well, hopefully you can find these people and give them <laughs> the forms that they need. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, um, you ever get any uh, <laughs> famous dead people's mail? <laughs> uh, no. No. Uh Yeah. Uh, it's first for me though, too. Though 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 when we were were when we did a thing on television my wife and I we were getting uh we Say what got, it was. Say what it was. When we were on the Jimmy Kimmel show they were sending us paperwork for it and they accidentally sent my wife the paperwork that was supposed to go to Octavia Spencer. So we got all the stuff that was supposed to go to her sent to us. <laughs> And it was like this weird thing where then I had to call ABC and figure out who to talk to to be like, I got the stuff that should be going to Octavia Spencer and it's come to me and I want to make sure she gets the paperwork she needs because clearly she was on the show or is going to be. And it was like this whole weird thing. <laughs> so, and did you, but, was her deal better than yours? <laughs> I will not say. <laughs> no, there was no deal. It's just, you know. It was just funny to get this paperwork for that was supposed to go to her, and uh, thankfully she's still alive. So um, Octavia Spencer is still going strong. Can you tell people why you were on the Jimmy Kimmel the Jimmy Kimmel show? Oh sure, uh, we were uh, we were we won some contest thing where we wrote in to the Jimmy Kimmel show. Uh, this is when we worked at the Vulcan Video to like have him and Matthew McConaughey do an ad for us, like a parody ad on the show. So we won. They both came to the shop. This was during South by Southwest 2015. And uh, yeah, they just hung Kimmel out. Kimmel and McConaughey? Yeah. And they came there for two days and recorded this fun thing. And uh, it became a popular thing in that moment online. And what's funny is we went on our honeymoon like a week after it aired. And everywhere we went, people were like, you were on Jimmy Kimmel, like strangers. Like, who? I don't know. I would have never remembered people just in a little bit on the Jimmy Kimmel show, but people were remembering us and recognizing us whenever we tried to go somewhere on our honeymoon for that one month, just for that month, just on that month. Don't underestimate your wife's charisma. You know, you remember. <laughs> you're lucky yeah. to be our, her arm candy. <laughs> I am. This is true. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's why the total tangent has nothing to do with anything, but yeah, that's what was going on. But yeah, well, that was the weird mail. That I got. Um, oh, no. That, that, you know what? Another weird thing I got once here is we got some mail. Whoever used to live here 
and there was an application they were they're going to be on Judge Judy. And I guess I don't know if he ever did because we got the application here, and then I just like didn't know what to do with it. I sent it back, and hopefully they got it. But that was amusing. <laughs> I wonder what the uh, dispute was that they wanted to get onto television with. Ah. But that was am- yeah. <laughs> hopefully they got it. Hopefully they did. <laughs> Uh okay well uh there you are we don't we don't have letters of our own because you don't get in touch with us so we're just gonna I'm... tell you stories about weird letters we've got in the past <laughs> erroneously delivered to our domiciles uh, well you know <laughs> but if you it's do want to is... oh go on <laughs> it's good to, if you have something to say you know watch cosmic slop tell us what you think we never hear about you know what you guys think of these kind of more obscure things like like it's great that you like the popular stuff and we hear i feel we always see comments on oh i love that movie but i want to know about like if you've never heard of this and because of this you you're now you've heard of it what did you think is this one of the great television shows that have been forgotten i want to know we want to know i kind of imagine that at some point in the future we're going to have many more listeners and people will be listening to it and think, well, that episode came out like four years ago. Do they still want to know what I think about Cosmic Slop? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> we want it. We want to hear from you. It's never too or late. If there's, never too or late. Or if there's a show that you'd like us to cover that the world has forgotten about, like, tell us. We'll, we'll, we'll cover it. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to do an episode about the Andy Dick show someday, so. Uh, I'm down. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, uh, if you do want to reach out to us, you can find us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. That's our email address. Just write to that. You can, you'll, you'll, you'll go directly to both of us, and uh, it'll make us laugh. It'll make us cry. It'll fill our hearts with joy and good feeling. Uh, even if it's something, you know, even if it's critical, uh, not mean, don't be mean, but critical is great. <laughs> critical is fantastic. Uh, and you can find a page for this uh, episode as well as pages for all of our episodes at our website, www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast and on Twitter at world is wrong pod. And next week, we got a big show. This is, I think this this next show is is historic because we are going to be, I'm going to be interviewing the great Wendell B. Harris Jr., the director, the writer, the star of the film Chameleon Street that we covered in episode 12 of this podcast. I've been trying to find him, trying to track him down. Like Colonel Kurtz in the jungle. <laughs> and it's about twice as long as this episode. More than. It's more yeah. than twice as long as this episode. Two and a yeah. half times is the length he of this episode. He has an amazing He's... story to tell. Uh, oh, yes, indeed. He has he's worked. like he had Chameleon Street, as great as it is, and I highly recommend you seek it out and, uh, and watch it. Uh, that film, as good as it is, it's really just the tip of the iceberg for this guy's story. So uh, get ready for that. It's going to be a long listen and uh, and a very deep voice. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what you have to look forward to. And anything else we need to tell people you want to let, is anything we should, people should know about what's coming up with uh, the director's wall. Nothing going on with radio eight ball. Just check out the old episodes, <laughs> folks. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, we're in the nineties now on the director's wall. We are, we are doing Godfather three this month. So yeah, we're, we're, we reached it. We're, we're there. Okay. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, looking forward to hearing uh, hearing what you have to say about that film. It is, uh, by many accounts, most people consider it to be the, the best of the three Godfathers. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. Nobody does. Nobody does. <laughs> You're thinking of the other two. <laughs> you get confused. But maybe we will come with that opinion. I haven't seen it since it came out, so I'm excited to revisit. And I haven't seen the new director's cut, so maybe it's a whole new thing. Maybe it is the best one. It's uh, Peak Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. Back uh, back yeah. in that, that golden little moment when Andy Garcia <clears throat> was one of the and most the, charismatic stars in, in the world. In the reverse of what we have Nicholas Turturro, it's, it's, this is a guy who's not Italian pretending to be Italian. So why can't, why can't they get this right? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Why don't wasn't know. Nicholas Turturro in Godfather 3 and Andy Garcia in Cosmic Slop? Like, why, like did they get, maybe they got the wrong mail. <laughs> well, I think definitely Nicholas Turturro thinks so. <laughs> I don't know if Andy Garcia feels the same way. I would have liked to have seen him in this one. But in 1994, I think he'd be happier. Star. Yeah. yeah. Making money and being famous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just another example of what we try and tell people at the end of every one of these shows, which is just to remember that... Uh, whether you're Andy Garcia or you're Nicholas Turturro, wherever you are, the world is wrong, and it's definitely wrong about you. The real revolution begins at home. So when you take out the track, think about what else needs to go with it. Yeah. Oh, me. I'm out of here.
co-host here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show. Mm-hmm.